The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast, the only show on the Blogging the Boys Podcast Network that many men have not wished death upon as the Cowboys go into Victory Monday with a 33-13 win from AT&T Stadium against the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm joined again by David Hellman to break it all down with you. And, well, David, we wanted a heavyweight fight atop the NFC East all year long. we kind of seen that's going to be these two teams. The Eagles got the best of the Cowboys in Week 9 in their home matchup, game that certainly looked different from the one that we saw here at AT&T Stadium on Sunday night. And even by the Cowboys standards, I would say Sunday night looked a bit different in terms of the games that they've played previously up to this point. But we knew last Thursday against Seattle was kind of the – tip of the iceberg game of a tough stretch of games where the Cowboys couldn't expect, you know, those 40, 50 point blowout type wins to come as easily. And yet 33 to 13, dare I say, even though they won by 20 against, you know, a 10 and three, now 10 and three Eagles team, even 20 feels like the spread of this game is lower than how much Dallas really outplayed Philadelphia. And in doing so, they reclaimed the top spot in the NFC East. We'll talk about scenarios as far as, how the Eagles are still somewhat in the driver's seat, but yet we can enjoy victory Monday if the Cowboys back in the rightful spot of first place with this 20-point win against Philadelphia. They got the ground game going. They controlled things from the start, built the lead to let Dan Quinn's defense kind of play the exact opposite of the way they were able to play the first game against the Eagles, where they were certainly on their heels and found a hard time uh, affecting Jalen Hurts, you know, affecting these big receivers that Philadelphia has. That couldn't have been... Uh, more opposite of the case here in the home win as, of course, Philadelphia turning it over a couple of times. So I had to even more Dallas points in the second half and the Cowboys kind of pulled away from there. So, David, welcome oh, to Victory I'm, Monday. I'm always and how feeling you feel? great on a Victory Monday and especially when it's a Victory Monday after playing the Eagles. There's, you know, it's, it's always fun when the Cowboys win, but when they do it against a team that's such a bitter rival as the Eagles and especially with, with this one, not only just – the bad blood of the rivalry, but obviously, um, you know, the chance for revenge, getting a rematch opportunity against the Eagles because they had that really, really close game. It was kind of a heartbreaker the way that it actually, you know, all the all the pieces fell in that one with it being so close on some plays, quite literally being a game of inches. To come in here and, and, and be in AT&T Stadium where the Cowboys have been so dominant lately and then to, to not only win, but 
win by 20 points and and play the way that they did. And, you know, if it wasn't for that that fumble recovery return for a touchdown, you know, in, in the, the the third quarter, like this would have been wouldn't even have even been as close as it was and it wasn't close at all. So, yeah, I mean, it everything feels great about this win, um, you know, and, and it, it finally puts to, to bed the argument about, well, they haven't beaten any good teams. They haven't beaten a team with a winning record. You know, last week with the Seahawks, they came in with the winning record and then because they lost. And then, of course, they lost to the 49ers this weekend. Um, they don't have a winning record anymore. You can kind of debate, does that count? Does it not? Now there's there's no debating. They beat a, a team with 10 wins. Eagles came in with the best record of the NFL. Cowboys beat them, and they beat them comfortably. So it's it's a great, great victory Monday. And for me, I want to start with the Cowboys offense. You know, it, it was interesting to see. I feel like, you know, when we eventually have our post-mortem on this Cowboys season, and we, of course, hope that it, it is very late into the year, you know, February, and we're talking about them as Super Bowl champions, of course. But when it is time to recap this full scope of the season, you know, one date that we're always going to remember and one of the turning points that we're going to write about all offseason, particularly for the offense, of course, is the bye week. You know, that's when things turned and that's when you went to that Rams game and kind of showed, you know, that was the start of, okay, maybe they can kind of play with these contending teams too. You know, we don't, we didn't know how good that Rams team was, but I don't know how many people expected the 43 to 20 win that they got in that one. And that was another one with a score doesn't even say, but per se how much the Cowboys outplayed the Rams at home there. But then within that is also the 28 to 23 loss that you took in Philadelphia, where offensively it just seemed like they fell back on bad habits that were developed early in the year. It was a lot of, you know, the short passes, there was a lack of motion, creativity, if you will, and not a lot of these things that we've praised them for all the other post buy games, which was the immediate response to the Eagles loss, 49-17 against the Giants, 33-10 against the Panthers, 45-10 on Thanksgiving against the Commanders, and then things have gotten tighter the last two weeks now, this, this win against the Eagles, and then the Thursday that set you up with the mini buy against the Seahawks. But offensively, I feel like in this game, here at home against the Eagles, they still came out with some things similar to the game plan to week nine, where it was still an emphasis on some of the short passes. It was still, you know, letting Dak Prescott be in control, targeting guys like Jake Ferguson and getting these tight ends against these Philadelphia linebackers who have kind of struggled a bit in recent weeks. And that's a matchup the Cowboys continue to like. I think they'll like the matchup that Jake Ferguson gives them against just about anybody at this point, but particularly against Philadelphia. You know, they really put an emphasis on stretching defenses laterally, it seems. And that's what eventually opened up the vertical game. The only difference in the way you got to win as opposed to falling short in Philadelphia is the run game kind of balanced things out for you. You had... Uh, Tony Pollard carry 16 times with 59 yards. Rico Dowdle did get banged up a little bit, but he was running as his usual self, physical between the tackles for 12 carries for 46 yards and a touchdown there. Longest run of the night was Kevante Turpin's end around, though, which converted a short third down and proves my point as well as far as moving defenses side to side to open up the vertical game, something that they tried to do in the first meeting against the Eagles. Didn't have all that much success. But it was encouraging to see that they didn't completely scrap that. You know, they still saw something on tape saying, hey, we can go back to this. What we're doing is good enough. And, you know, they continued this narrative kind of of not worrying about outside noise and, you know, having to completely blow up game plans 
they trust what they're working on from week to week in this building to uh, be good enough on Sundays. And here in prime time at a huge spot, biggest spot of the season, it was good enough on offense to pile up 33 yeah, points and win by in, 20. In a lot of ways, this, this offensive game plan kind of reminded me of a few weeks ago against the Panthers where uh, you know, they, they also, you know, after being so dominant for a long stretch, you know, they, they had a similar kind of output where they weren't really getting a whole lot of the deep shots, at least not until later on, but they were able to take those shorter throws. They were able to, to get the run game going a little bit better than they have in pre- recent weeks. And, you know, you kind of sit back and look and you say, you know, in this game against the Eagles, like, oh, you know, 33 points, kind of a, you know, kind of a down night for them. And, um, and, and that's kind of, you know, we're spoiled at this point because they've been so good. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, points only 33 down, points. And then, you know, you look at, I mean, the, the the Chiefs and Bills, and it was like the first team that hit 20 was the one who ended up winning. Um, so, you know, that just kind of puts in context just, I mean, they were still really good. Like they were able to, you know, play within the confines of what the Eagles defense was giving them. Same thing with what they did against the Panthers was, you know, Dak is he's not going to force it. He, you know, we saw last year he was put in positions where he had to force it a lot more, and that's why he ended up with so many interceptions. And so much of this offense is based around, like, there's going to be some times where you're not going to be able to take that deep shot, and, and you know, in this game for most of the game, there that wasn't really available. And when it's there, we know Dak can hit the deep shot. He's got receivers that he trusts and are going to, you know, capitalize on that, and he's going to rip it. And he had a few of those throws again, like you said, to Ferguson, where, you know, just throwing it down the seam and like he knows when when he sees when he sees that look and he's got Ferguson going down the seam. I mean, it's just such a high percentage connection right now. And then the connection he has with CeeDee Lamb, too, is just just stresses the defense so much more. Um, But, you know, at the same time, like they're, you know, Dak and McCarthy, they understand we're not going to try to make something happen if it's not there. And they'll take those short throws. I think this was probably the the best that their running game has been all year. Um, Tony Pollard was really getting a lot of of forward movement. Rico Dowdle was playing like his usual self, um, and, and it just everything just like just worked and flowed. And it was really nice to see. And you know, it's kind of weird because the last time they played this Eagles defense, they kind of they just did whatever they wanted to but they were also in a situation where they had to because it was such a close game. It was kind of back and forth. And then this was more like, I mean, they, they got up pretty early. They, they got the touchdown on the opening drive. The Eagles fumbled the ball and then they got a field goal. So automatically they had a, a two score lead and they were just at that point kind of went into not quite, you know, just run, run the clock out mode, but they definitely were taking a little bit more of their time. They weren't, you know, trying to have the huge explosive play where they score in like four or five plays. Um, and, and that kind of worked out for what the Eagles defense was giving them. Those linebackers are susceptible. They were able to get the ball out quick. And I, I think it's just, uh, a, a really good reflection of the, the maturation of this offense with Mike McCarthy taking over the play calling is, you know, he, he's not going to say like, like we don't have to go for the 40 burger every single week. Obviously he's not afraid of going for the 40 burger. He's, he's put up a few of those this year. But, uh, you know, in a game like this, they, they got the lead early and their defense was playing well, which, uh, you know, like you said in the beginning, a, a big uh, reversal of how it was the first time they played. And they were like, you know what, we're, we're just going to we're just going to stay in the pocket. We're going to we're going to control this thing. We're going to ride this out. and We're just going to grind them down. And 
And that's that's pretty much what they did. And it was a very controlled, very thorough win. And, uh, you know, a lot of that comes to their offense because, you know, they weren't necessarily getting in the end zone a whole lot in the second half, but they were moving the ball, they were killing the clock, and they were getting points because Brandon Aubrey, by the way, if you haven't noticed, he's a great kicker. Cowboys found themselves. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, they found themselves thing, a kicker. Yeah. Notre Dame uh, soccer plays today for national yeah. championship, so you know he'll be yeah, watching. So that that was a, a a really great night from Brandon Aubrey too. Like you know, everything went well for them, but also to to see Aubrey come out there and make those kind of kicks and and continue to be perfect on field goals. Um, I mean, what more could you ask for? We know this Cowboys team is built to play from ahead. The largest lead they were able to get at any point in the first meeting against Philadelphia was just seven points, and it was in the first half. And in the rest of the game, you were kind of on your heels as Jalen Hurts was making big throws, and you know you just weren't able to keep up, even though you were six yards away from really being able to write a different outcome. And then we know how that game ended with some penalties and some pressures and uh, the offense being backed up, you know, kind of by their own doing. And it's been motivation to be undefeated ever since. And that streak has now continued as the Cowboys keep their much longer, dating back to last year, home win streak alive, as well as their NFC East streak and then their current win streak of uh, five games here ever since the loss to Philadelphia. So seven points was their biggest lead in the first meeting. They jumped out immediately to a 7 nothing lead on the C.D. Lamb touchdown, which was, again, another great example of moving defenses side to side. Lamb on a you know signature crossing route going across the defense. Easy money for Dak Prescott to drop the ball off to him. He walks it to the end zone. Fly gets picked up. I know you write the uh, referee report for us at Bargain the Boys every week. I was going to... If the, this, if the outcome went a different way, I was going to spend more time on this. But if you want to just for a second comment on how much Andre on the field we saw, um, was that something you were kind of expecting with the John Hussey crew? Or uh, this this game certainly uh, had a third element to it. It was Cowboys, Eagles, and yeah, well, the, 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 the thing tonight. about John Hussey, a lot of people were tweeting about him earlier in the week because uh, the Eagles were 7-0 and coming into this game when John Hussey is the head ref. And everyone was kind of freaked out about that. And I looked at the the stats in the ref report, which of course uh, every week you can read up on bloggingtheboys.com. Um, and John Hussey for uh, I forget I think he's in his ninth season as a head referee now, so he's been doing it for a while. It's a lot of data to to kind of establish what his trends are, and he's generally uh, in almost every single game he's very favorable to the home team, and also the home team has a very good winning record when he calls their games. And when you looked at the games that he called for the Eagles, where they where they were seven and zero, now seven and one, five of those games were home games. One of the two road games was actually a neutral site game in London, where the Eagles were the designated away team. So, but it's not like either one of those teams was actually a home team. Um, so the the seven and zero for you know when John Hussey calls games was uh, you know a technically a true statistic, but kind of a misleading stat. Uh, throughout his whole career, though, he's generally, you know, given a little more uh, benefit of the doubt to the home team. And, um, you know, he I mean, he called his fair share of penalties against the Cowboys in this game, but he actually finished the day with three more against the Eagles for 35 more penalty yards on the Eagles. Um, there were quite a few where it looked like there was going to be a penalty against the Cowboys. And then, you know, they kind of discussed it. They picked up the penalty. I don't recall if that ever happened where they picked up a flag with the where that would have been against the Eagles. So um, to a degree, you know, it, it's not like 
you know, the Eagles got 10, 10 penalties. The Cowboys had none. Like that wasn't going to happen. But but it definitely felt like, you know, that this was a ref crew that was giving a little bit of the benefit of the doubt to the home team. Um, and, I mean, at the end of the day, they they were the least – they were the less penalized team. They had less penalty yards. Uh, they had a few beneficial plays where they had some penalties that went their way that helped them out. Um so, I mean, personally, I would still like to see fewer penalties. I mean, you're talking about 17 penalties called total in a game. I'd like to see less of the refs, all due respect to them. Um, but uh, as far as the actual application, it pretty much lined up with what I expected from John Hussey. On a personal note, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. You know, listeners have been with us for a while, but uh, this is a bit of a... I don't know if sentimental is the right word, but a memorable game uh, for me with Football Sunday. They've all been memorable since I've moved down to Texas, and of course. But uh, this is actually is my last uh, kickoff that I'll be watching from Texas. I don't know if I've told you specifically, David, but I'm moving out of Texas uh, this week, actually. So uh, it was quite nice to uh, you know be able to mark a Cowboys win watching here in Austin from... Uh, to end my time, you know, being able to watch this team from their home state, and I was at the Rams game this year and the Giants game the year before that. So, and they are, and those are all wins as well. So, like I said, it wasn't just Cowboys Eagles though to mark uh, the last occasion of getting to watch this team here it was a bit <laughs> of the John Hussey show. But the caveat that always comes with talking about officiating is what any head coach would tell you, which is don't leave the game outcome in doubt of what the referees can possibly impact. And certainly the Cowboys did that by winning by 20. They hold the Eagles to 14 points. That is the lowest total of the season. The previous low was 14, and that's when they played in MetLife Stadium against the Jets, and that's surprising. 20-14 to 14 loss against the Zach Wilson-led Jets, who also pulled off a surprising win against the Texans on Sunday. So something about the Jets playing at MetLife Stadium has unlocked their ability for upsets this year, and they have one against this Eagles team, but now the Cowboys defense can say that they have uh, held the Eagles in check, unlike any team has done this season. Of course, the turnovers were a big part of it, going after the ball, the, you know, the mentality that if we're not going to intercept passes, we can still wreak havoc and find a way to create turnovers. They did so by punching the ball out, which saved a couple you know, poor tackling plays, especially there at the end. It was you know, a positive note on a play where, I believe it was Devontae Smith who was working his way for your defense pretty good, but that the end result is what you're looking for from a Dan Quinn defense. So let's shift gears to talk about that side of the ball. And my last article that I wrote at BTB for us going into this game was about how we've seen the pass rush take over these games against lesser teams rather easily. We know that's where the bulk of the talent is on this defense. We know that, you know, from a play calling perspective defensively, that's where Dan Quinn typically has the most fun with all the twists and stunts up front. And that's where, you know, a lot of the action happens. Certainly nothing wrong with that. A lot of games are winning the Austin the trenches, whatever say you want to put on it. But I wouldn't say I challenge, but I wrote that, you know, the secondary needs to kind of, if there's another wrinkle that they can show, now going into December football is a time where they're going to need to do so. Teams know the Cowboys are going to put up points. They're worried about MVP candidate Dak Prescott, you know, lighting them up on any given drive. The only way to match that is to come out pass happy, which the Eagles tried to do and fumble the ball away numerous times to let this game slip away. But team's going to come out pass happy. This secondary is going to be tested. You have Josh Allen, of course, off of win in Arrowhead this upcoming week, if we can look all the way ahead to 
next Sunday. But what did you see from the Cowboys secondary and really a landmark game for him? Stephon Gilmore, probably his best game as a Cowboy all over. A.J. Brown, who was held in check for just uh, nine catches for 94 yards, 13 targets, but no Eagles receiver found the end zone. And that's a huge sign of progress from the first meeting where you had both the big receivers for the Eagles, both A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith uh, score a touchdown. Not to be done here in Dallas. Stephon Gilmore led the way. Duran Bland, solid as always. Jordan Lewis seemed to be his usual veteran savvy self and be in the right place at the right time. Marquis Bell continuing to drop underneath these routes. Jaron Coase. And the list goes on as far as Donovan Wilson being in position and in the secondary. And it seems like whenever these guys are out of position, Quinn just knows how to dial up a pressure. And you had that all-out blitz that led to the fourth down stop where Hurts was forced to throw it short where it was just like, okay, we, we know Coase and Bell coverage might not be your best trait, and we're getting after the pass rush pretty good. Let's just send these guys and trust that the back end's going to hold up if the ball comes out short. That's exactly what happened, and the Cowboys got the ball back there in a big yeah, spot. Yeah, I mean, this was, uh, it was a significantly better game from this secondary than the last time they played them. It was also better than the last time they played any game because, you know, we, we talked about it uh, last week was against the Seahawks. They did not have their best night, and, and the Seahawks – Seahawks receivers kind of did whatever they wanted in that game. And um, that, that was a tough game for this Dallas defense. And they really bounced back in, in both ways. Um, I, I think a lot of it really, at least for me, early in the game started with the safeties. They, they made a few big plays. Um, J. Ron Kurse uh, had, you know, that one play on a third down where he was out in coverage against A.J. Brown, which, you know, nine out of ten times. All due respect to J. Ron Kurse. Love the guy. Um, but A.J. Brown, generally, he's going to win that rep. And Curse was able to get such good coverage that it forced a real tight window throw from Hertz. It was a difficult catch to be able to make, and Brown wasn't able to make it. And that uh, brought up a fourth down. That's when the Eagles kicked their first field goal. Uh, of, of course, this was a game where the Eagles, their offense actually, you know, kind of moved the ball fairly well early on, but they couldn't finish the drive. And, and so Curse was able to to make a play there. Malik Hooker had a, a huge um, diving play for a pass breakup early on as well. Uh, and, the, and then Donovan Wilson had a few different plays where he was just doing what he does, flying all over the field, laying the lumber. Um, so th- these these trio of safeties the last couple of years have been like just absolutely out of their mind playing great football. And so far this season, I feel like they've been a little inconsistent. They've had some good games, and then they've also had a few games where it wasn't really their best tape. And in this game, I think they really got back to, you know, what made so many Cowboys fans so excited about them over those first two years with Dan Quinn as the defensive coordinator. Uh, and, and that kind of trickled down, I think, to their corners because they knew, oh, these guys, you know, they're, they're you know, maybe not always playing behind us necessarily, but these are the, the guys playing back behind us and, and they're they're on one today. Like, I know I can play the, the way that I need to play knowing that I've got help over top or or, or someone, you know, taking out a certain part of the field. Um, and, and Stephon Gilmore, you know, also, he had a, a classic vintage Stephon Gilmore game matched up against A.J. Brown, which is, again, A.J. Brown is, you know, one of the top receivers in the NFL, and Gilmore just, I mean, absolutely got in his head. You know, he he was chirping at him after every play. They were, they were exchanging words, and um, you know, you could see later on in the game as the Eagles were still losing and their offense wasn't able to score touchdowns, Brown was starting to get flustered. He was he was like kind of 
you know, riding the line, didn't, didn't quite pull a big dom and, and, you know, actually cause a fracas, but, uh, but you know, I mean, he, he was, he was <laughs> definitely Gilmore got to him and, and that kind of threw off his game as well. Um, oh, yeah. so that was just a, a veteran performance from Gilmore. Uh, Deron Bland, we didn't really see a whole lot of, um, he, he didn't really get thrown at a whole lot, which was good because the last couple of games he got targeted a lot. And, um, you know, there, there were also just, let's just admit it. There were a couple of plays where Cowboys got a little lucky. They had that one where Hertz threw what should have been an easy touchdown to Devonte Smith and he just straight up drops it in the end zone. Um, had a couple other plays where it just looked like miscommunication between the quarterback and receiver and where, you know, they might've been in a good position to get to catch the ball, but it, you know, for whatever reason that didn't actually come, come through. And uh, I mean, that that's, you're going to get that. And it was a solid mix of like, sometimes the Eagles just, they weren't, they weren't executing the way that they normally do the way that they did in the first game. A lot of that has to do with the pass rush and the way that Dan Quinn was able to selectively dial it up this week, as opposed to just always bringing the house um, to, to kind of counteract Jalen Hurts and his scrambling ability. But also the secondary, I mean, they, you know, credit to them. They had a rough couple of games and they stepped up and they played the way that they needed to play. Typically, when you have to go nine spots down the defensive box score to find a front seven player that's your, that's awaiting you in tackles, it's not a great sign for your defense. But in this case, it was, you know, it was the secondary being able to rally up, make the tackles that kept, you know, kept the ball in front of them like they did in the first meeting. But in the first meeting, Eagles were happy to take those throws with either the game within reach or leading. And they just took what the defense gave them happily and were able to march down the field at home with ease at times and, and control that game basically the same way the Cowboys offense, which we'll get back to in a second, did with an extension of one of their best ground game performances of the year and Dak Prescott just continuing to add, uh, you know, ornaments to his Christmas tree on the M- of the MVP candidacy, if you will. But that's Parsons I'm talking about when it comes to sliding down the defensive box score. He had just two tackles, but one of them being the Cowboys' only sack on the game, another QB hit as well, and then your other tackles, Stephon Gilmore led the way with nine, Donovan Wilson with five, Deron Bland with five, Marquise Bell, Jordan Oris, Daron Coase, and Damone Clark, Emily Cooker, all with four. So, you know, the secondary and back seven, really, would just have been playing in sync and bounced back from the Seattle uh, win in a way that, you know, that you can really expect them to, you know, kind of continue to find this cohesion, find, like I said, might have to be a new wrinkle to it. It might, it might just be a matter of continuing to play the straight up coverage and expecting their matchups to be better than, you know, what the opposition is throwing at them. And if you can do so against the Eagles, I think you can do so against anybody, considering the challenge that A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, guys like Dallas Goddard as well, present to you and as well as Hurts in the run game. So if you can do what they just did against the Eagles in the back seven, and see all those guys making consistent tackles. Only thing that flips is, you know, the Cowboys offense putting up enough points to where you can comfortably play that way. Certainly this is a blueprint for the way the Cowboys expect to play defense the rest of this year. And do you think it can continue as they go into, you know, hard games against Josh Allen and the Bills this week, two with Tiger Viola and the Miami Dolphins, and as well as uh, 
what else do we have on the schedule? And um, Jared Goff and the Lions in their last second to last home game. Yeah, I mean, in I, December. Think, I think the schedule kind of lines up nicely for that that preparation from week to week. Um, obviously, it's, it's not nice that they have to go to Buffalo in the middle of December. That's that's never ideal, especially when you're uh, you know not exactly playing a lot in in cold conditions like they are in Dallas. Um, but uh, as far as just like the opponent, the preparation for that. Last week on on this on this show we were talking about how it, it kind of worked out playing in a close game against the Seahawks because this game very well could have been that too where it was a shootout just like the first time they played the Eagles and it was kind of nice for the Cowboys to be able to play the Seahawks and and be in that kind of shootout environment and kind of prove to themselves yes we can win a game like that where maybe our defense isn't playing the best like we can just say like Dak go out there win this game for us and we can do that. Um, obviously that that's not how the game ended up going, but they were able to kind of carry that confidence into this game. Um, now, as far as the defense goes next week, the guy on the schedule is Josh Allen, who has a very similar play style in a lot of ways to Jalen Hurts. He's someone that, you know, he, he, he loves to throw downfield. He's incredibly mobile. He's a tough guy. And he's one of those guys where like, even if you, if your pass rush gets to him or your coverage is, is you know, keeping the receivers smothered, he's going to move around in the pocket. He's going to, you know, either get out of the pocket and keep his eyes downfield or he'll just take off and run. And it really doesn't matter if you've played the, if you've executed your play perfectly up to that point, he will find a way to break you. And the, the, the Cowboys really, I think, figured out a good way of how to adjust some of the things that they do with their defensive line. You know, they, they cut down on how many, how often they were stunting, which under Dan Quinn, they're, they stun at like the highest rate by far in the NFL since he's shown up. Um, they didn't do that as much. They, they still did a little bit because that's kind of the bread and butter of this pass rush, but they didn't do it nearly as much. And that was able to kind of counteract some of those hurt scrambles. Um, some of the things that they did with their coverage was a little bit more geared towards uh, not giving hurts all of those um, those shifting passing lanes that he likes to get he still had a few of them and there were a few couple of completions you can point to in this game where the Cowboys did a really good job of of keeping guys from getting open downfield and keeping contain up front on the defensive line and then he was able to step up a little bit shift the passing lane just a little bit and find a guy um, but for the most part they were able to limit those kinds of plays I think that really uh, that really serves as a good launching point into your preparation for a guy like Josh Allen, who um, is definitely a more aggressive passer than Jalen Hurts, but a lot of his style, the way that he moves in the pocket, is very similar to Hurts. And then even with that, going into the next week against uh, a guy like like Tua, who isn't really so much the scrambler that Hurts and Allen are, but He's very much someone who loves to throw the ball downfield. They have a very explosive offense in Miami right now. And so then, you know, playing against a guy like Josh Allen, who he can launch it from the one yard line on his own territory and have it, you know, drop in the receiver's breadbasket on the one yard line on the other side. His arm is that strong um, to be able to, to play against a guy like that. And then immediately after go against an, a Dolphins offense that is, is just so explosive. It's built around those explosive plays. I think it really lines up nicely to where like each week they're going to play a team and kind of learn how to beat them in one way. And then the next week it's kind of the same thing. Obviously there's differences from team to team, but you know, it's, it's like if you can, 
if you can beat the Eagles this week, now you know we can handle a mobile quarterback. We can handle a guy like Josh Allen. If you can take away the deep plays from Josh Allen, now you know we can do that against you know Miami. We can we can feel better about going against a guy like Tyreek Hill. Uh, and then you know the, the the next week the Lions are also a very explosive offense. Jared Goff obviously has very few similarities to uh, Josh Allen to uh, Jalen, um, but they're a very explosive offense and they do a lot of things really well that help them down the field. And so I think the schedule kind of lines up nicely to where if they can keep on putting their best foot forward, they're they're going to really get some confidence on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and then as you know, as far as the offense goes, I think. I don't think they're short on confidence at all right now. I think they're probably flying high. So if you get those two both playing at their best and playing confident, I mean, look out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And no doubt the chess match of the Dan Quinn defense against those passers and those high-flying offenses that the Cowboys will see coming up is going to be fascinating to see. But, you know, one of the Quisade and overused questions that gets asked about every offense this time of year and having a passer game is great and the Cowboys have theirs and, you know, they're going to need it, of course. And it's their bread and butter considering how many of these throws have become just pure layups for Dak Prescott. But all these offenses around the league going into whether or not you're a contender or not, are going to be asked, you know, the stereotypical December, can I play a weather game, what have you, can you run the ball? And so that's what we've kind of been talking about today as far as really being encouraged by the Cowboys' run game against the Eagles. It was a Sunday night game. It's Chris Collinsworth in the booth, so you know you're never going to escape the much controversial, typically pro football focus uh, rankings. But they did point out that on the left side of the Cowboys' offensive line, you have Tyron Smith, who's been their number one graded left tackle, and then Tyler Smith is now your number one left guard. And it certainly seemed like there was an emphasis on you know letting Tyler Smith kind of be a, an engine for this offensive line and this run game, and be someone that provides that mean streak for him, and you know really putting an emphasis on running behind him, not just for the sake of running behind him is a good idea because he can run block better than anybody, but doing so to, you know, motivate the rest of the offense. Like, hey, we know how good this guy is. We know even if the defense shades that way or the defense is is expecting it, we're still going to give a carry that way because it motivates us to, you know, kind of play with that chip on our shoulder, play with an edge that we need to balance out how often we're throwing the ball off Dak Prescott. So that's what I was encouraged by with the Tony Pollard and Rico Dowdle balance in this game in the run game now, you know, do you think they're going to need that exactly like you saw against Philadelphia? And where do they have even more room for improvement based on how not only Tyler Smith played, but, you know, up front on the offensive line, Tyler 
be honest, to commit a couple penalties. So where do you see this run game going from here as they try to kind of balance out uh, these more possession-style games they might have to play well, against guys I'll, like Josh uh, Allen? I'll, I'll channel my inner Chris Collinsworth with, with talking about Tyler Smith. Now here's a guy who just has all the strength in the world. Um, <laughs> you know, I, In all seriousness, Tyler Smith has been absolutely phenomenal this year. He was really, really good last year as a rookie, especially with, you know, of course, the way that he spent all offseason kind of learning how to play left guard. And then at the last second, they're like, oh, actually, go back to left tackle where you were the most penalized player in college your last year. And it was not perfect. It was not always pretty, but he got better each week. He got more confident in himself as a, as a pass protector. He's always been a great run blocker. And now this year playing exclusively left guard, um, I mean, it, it's just been so fun to watch the way that he's played. He's just absolutely dominant, you know, in the run game. And he's not been completely perfect in pass protection, but he has been uh, significantly better. Um, he's, he's, you know, he has so much strength that he's one of those guys when he's able to to set and drop his anchor. Like there are very, very few defensive linemen that are going to be able to move him off of his spot. And it's been so exciting to watch his maturation, the way that they've kind of uh, adjusted this run game as they've tried to figure out some of these these issues with it not quite you know being as efficient as it could be, um, and, and it's funny because like you've on the other side you've got Zach Martin and you've got Terrence Steele who I mean Zach Martin's a you know first ballot Hall of Famer, Terrence Steele is you know a really really great run blocker one of the more underrated right tackles in the game largely because of his run blocking skills, and it's like you would think with those two guys like you always want to run to the right. But then at the same time, over on the left side, you've got Tyler Smith, who's just like, he's a freight train at left guard. And then you've got Tyron Smith, who there's there's been quite a few plays this year since he got back from his, his injury earlier in the year, where like you see him out there in run block and it's like, he's he looks like vintage Ty- Tyron Smith back when he was, you know, just a, a young pup and playing left tackle. And like, he just flies over all over the field and he takes guys out. And so it's like, it's almost kind of like pick your poison with how you want to run. And you want to go left behind the Smiths. Do you want to go to the right behind these two guys that are just road graders? Um, you know, so I, I think that's that's really helped this run game is that the the chemistry between the two Smiths has really gotten to a, a point where they're comfortable now. And we know what they can do when they run behind Martin and Smith or Martin and Steele. Um, and Tyler Biotish, I think, as someone who's been a big Tyler Biotish fan, I think this is probably one of his weaker seasons so far since coming into the league, but he's still a really good run blocker. That's been, that's been his wheelhouse as a player is he's, he's more of the run blocking type. Um, so like as this offensive line has, has gotten some more reps together. I mean, it wasn't until that 49ers game that all five of these guys actually played a game together. So it's only been a couple of months that they've really actually had game reps together and they're starting to get in a groove and we're seeing that happen with the run game. It's starting to get, you know, it's starting to get more fluid. Tony Pollard is starting to look more like Tony Pollard. Rico Dowdle is starting to play like that, that physical downhill presence that that everyone's been talking about that they've been lacking with Ezekiel Elliott. Um, You know, and then the way that they've been able to work in Kevante Turpin, the way they've worked in, uh, CD Lamb as an occasional uh, you know runner, whether it's on the jet sweep or just lining him up at running back, they've been creative there. They've also you know kind of upped their design runs for Dak Prescott the last couple of weeks as well, and shown that he can get some work done there. Um, 
And also, let's not forget Hunter Lipke, the the rookie fullback. They, you know, early, early on in the season, um, they they featured him a couple times, gave him some carries, gave him a couple of targets, and they kind of shied away from that. And I just, part of me knows that, I mean, they're still using him. He's still out there on the field, but he's just doing work as a blocker. And part of me feels that they have a couple of plays that are designed to get the ball in his hand one way or the other. And they're just holding him on, holding on to those for one of these games that, you know, could be next week against Buffalo in the snow where you need that, you know, hard-nosed, grinded-out type of guy. And I, I just, part of me knows, like, Mike McCarthy's holding on to something. He, he's got that in his back pocket. He's waiting. And so I, I think you got to be you got to be confident in this run game and how it's gotten a little bit better each week since the bye. And this offensive line is kind of getting into a groove with these starting five playing together for so many reps now. Um, and, and the running backs are more confident in how they have to be patient a little bit, especially on those inside zone runs, like be patient a little bit, let the block develop, and then you can hit your hole. And it, it really is perfect timing with going into a game like Buffalo, where with it most likely being a very, very cold weather game, you're going to need to rely on the run game a little bit better. So uh, they're in a good spot. I think um, I'm still very curious to see how Mike McCarthy handles that from a game planning st- standpoint, as far as like, are you still going to be super pass heavy depending on the weather? Or are you going to say, well, we're running the ball better. We kind of need to run the ball well for this game. Let's put it in Tony and Rico's hands and let this offensive line take care of business. But either way, I think at this point with what we saw against the Eagles who have a great run defense, dominant defensive line, to be able to put up that kind of production, you got to be going into this Bills game feeling real confident. With that, for the first time all year, let's get to a triangle of triumph for the NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys. Just to give the simple breakdown on this, there's been a lot of confusion about it and you know what we needed from the Eagles coming into this game to even have a chance. I think myself included, some fans were surprised that the Cowboys were playing for first place coming into this game, seeing as the Eagles had that tough stretch of the Chiefs, Bills, and 49ers, and it was thought that they had to kind of lose one just between the Chiefs and the Bills games, but they won both of those, and things are looking pretty bleak. But just by way of losing to the 49ers, the Cowboys did play their way into first place with a head-to-head win against the Eagles on Sunday night. But the simple breakdown is that the Eagles will still need to lose another game along the way. There'll be plenty to say about their schedule and all that. We'll have that for you throughout this week on the podcast network and at BTB. But just to run through it and give it to you real quick, you know, surface value. We have no idea how these games will play out, but the Eagles travel to the Seahawks on next Monday. On Christmas Day, they are home against the Giants. They have the Cardinals the week after that in Philadelphia, and then they end their season also with the Giants on the road January 7th. So we'll see how that plays out. But for now, the Cowboys are in first place, and that means triangle of triumph. So, David, as uh, the keepers of the Dayton Triangles, go ahead and give us your, your three yeah, stars so, of the game. Um, my first star of the game, uh, we already talked about him, has to go to Stephon Gilmore um, for, for stepping up the way that he did and having just a, a vintage Stephon Gilmore game, uh, especially against a guy like A.J. Brown and, and A.J. Brown is one of those guys that, that we've seen a few times this season with the Eagles, whether it was against the Cowboys or against some other opponent. You know, he, he's kind of a guy like C.D. Lamb, like some of these other top receivers where he can go off whenever, and it's very, very hard to shut him down. And, you know, Stephon Gilmore is not the 2019 Defensive Player of the Year, Stephon Gilmore. 
you know, some some Cowboys fans have talked about how his speed isn't quite there. Yeah, you get that with, with someone who's kind of on the back end of their career, but he still has the physicality. He has the IQ. And I mean, he's also, it's not like he's slow. I mean, he could almost definitely beat me in a you know 40 yard dash or any sort of race. Like he's still got some speed. Um, so, you know, for him to come out and play this way against a, a receiver, the caliber of AJ Brown, the Cowboys absolutely needed that. They couldn't have another game like they did against the Seahawks where everybody's just getting toasted every single play. And Gilmore really stepped up. He deserves uh, the first leg of my triangle of triumph. Um, and, and the other guy, the, the next leg, another kind of no-brainer is Brandon Aubrey. And mentioned how the Cowboys, they got themselves a kicker. And they talked plenty about Brandon Aubrey during the game, deservedly so. He was one of the, the three that got a game ball from the the Sunday Night Football crew afterwards. And, I mean, he's he's been uh, just everything that the Cowboys could have hoped for, especially the way that they went about finding the kicker this offseason, you know, moving on from Brett Maher because of the one bad game. Um, and... Brandon Aubrey did not have the best preseason. He didn't kick a whole lot in preseason games when he had the little competition kicks in training camp. Um, he wasn't super consistent. He didn't have a whole lot of days where he hit 100%. And Cowboys fans were rightfully worried because a year ago, they went through the same thing with another rookie kicker in Jonathan Garibay, who didn't even make the team. And then Aubrey comes in and he has, you know, he's missed a couple extra points here and there, but he's been perfect on his field goals. And every single time that they roll him out there for another deep field goal, you kind of have this feeling like, oh, this this might be it. This might be the one where he misses, especially in this game. He comes out for his first one. And it's a 60 yarder. You're like, well, this is this would be a career long for him. Can he hit the 60 yarder? And he drills it. And he, I mean, he could have hit it from 70. It's, it's incredible. And, and then they kept sending him out for these 50 plus yarder field goals. And he just keeps drilling them. And he's just the model of consistency and, and to have uh, not only a rookie kicker who has done what he's done and has set history and broken records, but also his story, you know, being a, a, a Plano, Texas native, growing up a Cowboys fan, starting out in soccer, finding his way to football, and then now is the kicker who's breaking all these records for his hometown team, for America's team. It's a really incredible story. And, you know, it, it's a great, great time to have him on the Cowboys and uh, just really, really grateful for him and all the consistency he's brought to the team. And then the the third leg, as someone who has been driving this train for several weeks now, has to be the uh, Dak Prescott for MVP narrative finally really going mainstream. Tell him. What's that? <laughs> Tell him, David. So. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, better be mainstream I mean, now that's it, all i'm it, saying it, Go ahead. it really is it's gone a long way since uh i forget which game it was where i wrote an article saying welcome to the mvp race dak prescott and just kind of laid out the statistics all the different metrics and saying like nobody's playing better football than dak prescott right now and since then he has continued to play the best football of anyone in 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 football and uh and he keeps doing it. And he's now had three straight Island games where, you know, he had the Thanksgiving game where he absolutely tore up the commanders and there was just a, a blowout win. And everyone was like, Hey, Dak Prescott's playing really good. 
And then the next Thursday, they played the Seahawks. And it was another game where Prescott was putting up great numbers. But like we talked about, he had to win the game. He had to go out and be the hero. And he played hero ball. And he did all of that. And so then once again on national television, they get to see, oh, Dak Prescott. Like this is maybe this is just who he is. And now Sunday Night Football playing against the Eagles. And, and everybody saw that last game. Everybody knows the Eagles are just the team that doesn't go away. They, they were losing to the Bills. They were losing to the Chiefs. They found a way to win. Um, and, you know, then, then Dak Prescott comes in completely and totally outplays Jalen Hurts, who didn't score at all, by the way. Um, Hurts had a turnover. Dak had zero. He had a couple of touchdown passes. He played great throughout the whole game. And to, again, do that for the third straight time on a nationally televised on a primetime game. And Chris Collinsworth was even kind of like, you know, stoking the flames of the fire at the very end. He's like, here's all these different players. And he's talking to Mike Tyreek. And he's like, hey, like, who? which of those do you think is the MVP? And Mike Tyreek wouldn't take the bait. But, I mean, we, we all know. We can tell. Like, right now, Dak is the front runner for the MVP award. And it, it's been so satisfying to see these, you know, last few performances that, you know, we as Cowboys fans have been watching him play all year. And we know how great he's been. And for it now to kind of hit the mainstream and all these people that don't watch the Cowboys every Sunday, even though they still have all their takes about the team, as if, you know, you would assume that they have to be watching the games to have these takes. Um, you know, now they're seeing it and now they're realizing who Dak Prescott is and they're finding out that this guy is legit. He is great. And he is the MVP front runner right now. I'm glad you had Aubrey in your triangle of triumph because he was also going to be in mine, but I usually like to keep one of my legs to kind of something a little bit off the wall and away from the field of play from that week's game. So on the fly, I came up with one to replace Aubrey as he already made your triangle of triumph and got the NBC uh, Sunday Night Football game ball. So enough for Aubrey there, but I'm going to give one to his coach and coordinator, John Fossil. He is Mike McCarthy's kind of lieutenant there on the sideline. And so we know McCarthy missed him in-person practice time this week. And he didn't get into all the details of the media about, you know, how those things are being covered other than basically assuring us that he was still as active as ever in game planning, even if he wasn't present, but you just know John Fossil already carries a big role around this, you know, the game planning that this team has been so great at these past couple of weeks. And you just know that was heightened and he had a lot on his plate this week, getting ready for the Eagles, trying to find any possible advantage that they could. And it all worked out as far as, um, you know, the Cowboys winning again in all three phases. And you mentioned with Aubrey, how those field goals could have turned the game. I mean, the Eagles never started to drive anywhere besides one drive anywhere other than the 25 their own 25 after a touchback. They had one that started at the 27 after a punt, but the rest were all touchbacks and how different that could have been if one of those long field goals didn't go in and the Eagles had a much shorter field to uh, drive on and make this game closer. Speaking of, you know, short fields and keeping this game close and being able to put distance, I have Michael Gallup in my triangle of triumph. I think that he's been, you know, much behind by fans and they're writing him off too soon. Yes, his role has been diminished, but there's still a need for that veteran presence from a guy who Prescott's been with through multiple changes of the offense now. And through every change, he knows how to get the ball to Gallup and that's valuable. Of course, he had that big 39-yarder 
there in the fourth quarter when the game was salted away um, to help you run the clock and really just leave no doubt. In this one, that was an MVP-type throw from Prescott down the sideline, and we've gotten used to seeing Gallup being able to make those and not let him go off his fingertips or you know, let a Dyke Prescott throw go uh, unnoticed. He hauled it in, and that was a late highlight in the fourth quarter to know that it was going to be the Cowboys' night as they closed out this win, but he also had the touchdown to make it 24-6 to in the first half, and that was really the first point in this game where you felt like the Cowboys might roll and stay in control of this one. And so in place of my Aubrey leg of the triangle of triumph, I'm going to go with and follow me on this one, David. The Texas Rangers, the World Series champions, who play right outside of AT&T Stadium because I found it so weird that NBC leaned, in a game being played at Cowboy Stadium, leaned so far into the Philadelphia side of things during their intro that they had Bryce Harper from the Philadelphia Phillies do this whole, you know, oh, well, now I'm in Philly, and that's, so that's what this means to me type of thing. You have Bryce Harper come on and you know, use a baseball analogy to get seemingly the Philadelphia fans fired up playing before you come on the air for a game where the home team is favorited because they've been so good at home, the Cowboys, of course, and right across the parking lot, the World Series champions just, you know, well, they didn't win on home field, unfortunately, but the World Series champions still call home basically the same complex and parking lot that the Cowboys do. So if you're going to use a baseball analogy to come on the air, NBC, how about leaning more into the team that's favorited and the team that has some real hardware, much like the Cowboys have more hardware than the Eagles. And we all wasn't like it, to remind them of that. Wasn't so it also great, for now the wasn't it also great how like Cowboys. when Bryce Harper was doing that promo, like he admits that he grew up a Cowboys fan and he's like, yeah, I always love the Cowboys. Then I ended up in Philly, like, uh, I kind of right. had to. I had to pick the Eagles. Like I kind of have to. I'm obligated to. Like there wasn't any real joy in his voice. He's like, it, it was almost like he was. He was like blinking Morse code. Like help me, save me. <laughs> the closet Cowboys fans thing out there will always be a you know a great narrative for us true diehard Cowboys fans to enjoy. However, you're enjoying Victory Monday. We hope it is a great week, getting you ready for. The Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills. This would be another marquee type of matchup as both teams will offer huge wins. The Cowboys against the Eagles, of course. The Bills keeping their playoff hopes alive, and they'll be sensing that as they now come into this home game confident against the Cowboys as they went into Arrowhead and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. We can't wait to recap that one. We'll do so for you, but continue to enjoy this Eagles win and all the commentary we'll have coming out of it for you at bloggingtheboys.com and, of course, right here throughout the BTB podcast network so to recap my triangle of triumph real quick it was the texas rangers john fossil and michael gallup cowboys 33 eagles 13 it's their sixth straight win at home against the rivals from philadelphia their dominance in the nfc East continues and whether or not that means they'll hold on and win this division be able to play at home in the playoffs which means so much to be determined but we'll be we we'll be here with you every step of the way to break down playoff scenarios and all of that at a later time and until then whenever the cowboys are better than the eagles and there it is mm-hmm.